imagine that you're a, a, a supervisor. In this case, a nurse administrator at a large hospital with a, a lot of responsibility, a lot of moving parts, really complex organization. And you get an email from one of your staff, one of your nurses, who says, I'm worried that these two drugs we're using in pediatric intensive care are not compatible. And I'm worried if they're used at the same time that they will have significant consequence to the pediatric patient. And yet, our system, when I scan the two drugs together, no pop-up shows to warn me that this is a problem. And because of what's going on in the world right now, because of a, a court case in Nashville, Tennessee, I think we may be in a position where we absolutely halt all treatment and care. So here you are, the boss, and you've got a worker who's identified a relatively significant system weakness. That's good. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's really important. They've done it early. There's lots of capacity to fix it. And yet there's such a chilling effect in the air that the answer to that is to stop treatment, not to actually question, fix, understand, and learn about the system. That's going to be the discussion for today's podcast. Hey everybody, Pre-Accident Investigation uh, Podcast, it's Todd Conklin. I'm here with you today again. How are you? How was your week? Pretty uh, interesting. This The world is interesting. There's just no question about that. It's... Um, I think it borderlines on kind of bizarre and frightening. That's where I'd go with this. My week was slammed, just slammed. And part of it is because of this Vanderbilt Hospital nurse case. Uh, uh, th this, thing's, this thing's caught some wind for sure. And I'm glad it has. It needs to. You know, we've talked about this a million times. I mean, it's, it's, and I mean by a million, I mean a hundred, hundred thousands. I mean a lot of times. And it's the fact that what blame does more than anything is stop improvement. It just does. It, blame stops improvement. And the idea that you can criminalize worker error, or in this case, criminalize medical error, is just, it's super frightening. I wanted to actually start with a quote. And this quote comes from a, uh, a guy named Dr. Lucian Leap. He's a professor at the Harvard School of Public Health. And he said this in testimony before Congress to the healthcare quality improvement hearing they had. Um, and it seems more timely now than anything that I could possibly come up with. And he says, the single greatest impediment to error prevention in the medical community is that we punish people for making mistakes. Now, we can talk about this a bunch. The first place I'd go with this is the spirit and intent of this quote is powerful. I'm a little taken back by the idea of error prevention. I'm not sure you can prevent something that's not a choice. You can definitely create systems that are less likely, less prone to have error, but error is pretty normal. We really want to build error tolerance into a system, if if that makes sense. I don't want to get too advanced, uh, you know, too uh, snooty McPooty on you, but that is, in fact, 
a big part of what I spent the week doing. So a bunch of us got together. Crystal Masters um, has put together a letter. And, I mean, everybody's in this letter. It's just it's like Nancy Levins. Everybody's on this letter. And what we're doing is writing kind of an open letter about what's happened. Now, that's great. And we'll talk more about that for sure. But I think what's interesting, at least to me, is that the timing seems to be appropriate for this conversation to be had now. And in fact, this egregious act, throwing this nurse into jail or or sentencing her to 12 years, is maybe what it took to highlight the urgency of this problem. And we've been working on it a long time in non-medical workplaces, and some industries... I have moved, <coughs> excuse me, got all choked up there, dramatically forward. Like aviation is probably farther ahead when it comes to flight safety than, way farther ahead than medicine. Nonetheless, this this topic is 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 important. It's probably being consumed by the rest of the news because there's a ton of news going on. I mean, wars and pandemics and locusts. I don't know if locusts are out there, but it seems like they, they probably are. I mean, they should be. Um, th- this, this story we're going to tell is, is vital to understanding that. And that is what today's pod's about. Today's pod is, uh, I think you're going to, yeah, this is a good one. I think you're going to like this a lot because today's pod, we're going to talk to a, a highly experienced nurse manager. Um, who who actually in this case is going to um, celebrate some anonymity. So because this industry is so incredibly fragile and because there's such a strong chilling effect in medicine, the people that ask to be on the podcast, for the most part, don't want to use their name. Which normally, I, I mean, that's I, to be really honest, that's never really happened before. I mean, I, I can <laughs> I can totally see not wanting to be associated with the podcast. That is a different topic. But this is, in and of itself, a pretty important piece of information. If your industry is so risky that you can't use your name for fear of retribution, I'm just going to call it what it is. Something screwed up there. I mean, that, that, that's f- because we're not talking about stealing money or taking paper clips out of the supply room. We're talking about patient safety. For goodness sakes, there should be a fearless environment. Uh, As Amy Amy Edmondson will say, it should be psychologically safe to talk about these things. And it's not. It just flatly isn't. Which that, in and of itself, is a damning, damning characteristic of medicine, at least in the United States. And that fear of reprisal, that chilling effect, that's frightening. So if you're from around the globe, and a lot of you are, man, we're sort of airing our dirty laundry, but if we don't talk about it, then it doesn't get recognized as a problem. And that is, in fact, exactly what we need to do. I mean, that's exactly what we need to talk about, is we need to talk about where this is, and more importantly, where we can go with this. Because I think, quite honestly, 
it's not that we know the answer because I think knowing the answer would not be a good place to go into this discussion, but we definitely know how to get to some people who can help us identify the problem and create some solutions to move forward. And we can try those solutions out on small scale and we can see what happens, which is exactly what we should be talking about. That's exactly where we want to go with this conversation. But, but to do that, let's go ahead and listen to this conversation with, um, uh, uh, with a nurse manager. And she's going to talk about this very case. And let's call her Tina, although it may or may not be her real name because she's anonymous. But let's listen to what Tina has to say about this. And then I think the most important thing I could ask you to do is, what do you think? What's, what's going on in your mind? What are you thinking about? Because I'm curious to know what impressions you have, because that's going to help us understand how we can actually move forward from here. So let me not waste any more of your valuable podcast ear listening time, because, you know, this is the most important time. And let's get into this conversation. This is a conversation really recent, just happened, um, about the case in Vanderbilt. And I think you'll find this to be pretty enlightening. Okay. Hi. Um, I'm really glad to be here. Um, I think this case scared the crap out of many of us. So um, my name is Tina. I am a 21-year veteran nurse in emergency uh, medicine. I uh, have worked as the educator and manager at an emergency department um, and work closely on risk and safety issues um, and improvements with um, several of my colleagues. Thanks for be doing this, Tina. This is so important. What are you thinking right now? I'm so curious as to how a nurse or nurses, because not that I'm going to make you represent every nurse in the world, but kind of at this moment you are sort of, what are you guys thinking? What's going on in your heads? Um, I think what scared, what scared me most and what scared some of the staff that I've talked to recently about this case is just, this is an already drained profession. We are coming out of COVID with this mass exodus. Um, we're losing people, um, you know, people are feeling burnt out. And it's not just nursing, it's throughout healthcare. Um, and this just puts such a blow to, um, you know, grabbing new nurses um, to join the profession. Um, it puts a blow to feeling comfortable reporting um, and just sort of all of the stuff that we are coming out of um, with the backdrop of COVID. Um, this just kind of makes me fearful for the future of this profession. Um, Given given our staffing needs, were you comfortable? Were you comfortable before? I don't think that there's ever been a level of comfort um, because we've all known projections for where this you know where this profession is going to go. We have a large aging population that's going to retire. I think in terms of the 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 staffing, I think we always knew the inevitable would come, um, but it was slower trickle than I think most expected, and um, you know, across the country, you're just hearing about, you know, nurses leaving. So, you know, it's concerning because I love this profession. I also know that there are many people out there who feel drawn to this profession. And it's going to be really important that we support, you know, the future healthcare workers. 
to me, one of the things that is a really strong conclusion, and when we when you contacted me, this was so clear to me, is that as nurses feel less safe, patients become less safe. Yes. I think that, that when we are not able to report, um, you know, and self-report and feel comfortable doing that, we definitely increase the potential for harm. Um, we encourage a speak-up culture as best as we can um, where I work, and we utilize debriefs, which um, give us an opportunity to point out where kind of these systems errors are and how we make improvements. Um, without that information, we just will have nurses doing workarounds, which is, you know, becomes a normal thing. So we do workarounds, um, it normalizes everything, and then unfortunately, they lose the sense that what they're doing has risk associated with it. So it's just a workaround, it's just what we normally do. Um, and it takes that sort of extra component of safety out of it. I can override the system up to 20 times a day and that's fine, right? right. But the 21st somehow is yeah. magically bad. <laughs> with, without speculating, because it's, it's hard to ask people to speculate and we, there's so much we don't know. What do you think happened in Nashville? I mean, how, how did it, how did it swing to this level of crap? That's a professional term. Yeah, the one I use often. Um, I, you know, I think there's a couple of things. If I if I looked into this, you know, looking at the information that's available about this case, um, if this is something in which the nurse was off site, off of her unit, and had to administer medication. One of the common workarounds is that we have these systems built in for barcode scanning, which is huge and important. Um, it gives a little extra layer. This is the wrong patient that you're giving this medication to. Um, it you know, pops up and gives you that sort of built-in mechanism. In this case, if the nurse had to go off the floor, off her unit, a lot of times those scanners are unavailable. And this is a common workaround. Um, so you just give it. You override. You do what you need to do. You give the medication. Um, when we build these technologies, sometimes those things aren't thought about or, you know, we, we, we kind of don't look at what the worker does. Um, you know, we imagine that someone would drag a computer with a scanner with them or, you know, yeah. Well, it's interesting to me, too, and I'm learning this and it's a little shocking to me, although my guess is this won't shock you, is that the, that system was set up as much for accounting and billing reasons as it was for sort of patient safety? Is that true? I, I, I can't say that for sure. Um, I can't say that for sure. I think everything, you know, within electronic, um, you know, medical records and things like that do have an element of that, but I, I can't say that for sure. And, and, and it's a bold thing I'm saying. It's just something that keeps sort of coming up that yeah, we would look at that traditionally on the industrial side as a reliability mechanism and not think about sort of the secondary need for accounting and tracking and finance and billing. And I mean, it's, that's a really interesting addition and sort of creates this goal conflict that I think is important for us to realize to me, the context of what you guys do and the complexity of what you do is really quite remarkable. Um, and, and if we count on your expertise to be good at running scanning, I think we're using a nurse's expertise in the wrong way. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want your expertise to solve problems in real time, and I want it to be easy for you to get the the things you need to do your job successfully. 
But I guess maybe that's a naive way to see it because it strikes me that that this discussion and what happened in Nashville at, at the hospital in Vanderbilt it is is really well. It's horrible, but it's an opportunity for us to really change the discussion. We should we should be talking about this differently, and we should be talking to you guys. I mean, I think you said something brilliant, and that is, I'm not sure we're talking to the right people. We need to talk to the nursing staff. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to a couple of things, right? So we're going to, you know, we're going to move into this. I'm projecting here. I'm not a, you know, a HR expert, but I'm looking into the future of this nursing profession, right? That we are going to have a, a sort of a negative number of nurses that we uh, need to perform uh, their jobs, right? We're going to be losing nurses. So technology is going to play a huge, huge part in this, right? We're going to develop technology to, you know, supplement that, to fill that gap. And when we do that, who's making, who's looking at that? Which human factors design people are bringing in the worker? Um, you know, it's easier for me to sit somewhere and design a system, right? How I imagined it's supposed to be. But it's another thing for me to get in there, to grab the nurses, to grab the people at the bedside and, and simulate this and walk through it, right? It's a lot of time and effort to do that. And I think the second part is that, Nurses, when they're trained, are trained in a silo that doesn't include a lot of physician perspective or pharmacy perspective. And leadership classes at the nursing school level, you know, at the baccalaureate level, don't go into safety. They go into healthcare policies. So, you know, study Obamacare and the impact of that. But there's no real discussion about how things are designed how we look at safety and risk, how we answer to that. And I think that that's a huge thing that we should start to look at um, when we're bringing in this new crop of people joining this profession. Through your 20 years of ex- 20 plus years of experience, what have you come up? How do you look at risk? How do you, how do you look at an event like this? Because I, I, and I could be wrong on this. So jump in and correct me. I'm wrong on a ton of stuff, but my guess is, is that mistakes happen all the time. Mistakes mm-hmm. happen when failure takes place, but they also happen when success takes place in the hospital. At the patient's bedside, mm-hmm. mistakes are kind of normal. How have you sort of for your career thought about this idea of risk and error and human operations and all the things you do? I think it's actually, I mean, it's, it's changed a bit. You know, when I first started, I was <laughs> a good Catholic girl and went to Catholic school and, you know, I want penance. You know, I forgive me for my sins. I, um, you know, I, I was very scared to make any mistakes. And um, I think as I've grown in this career and, and, and recognizing that the conversation, the transparency, the why behind things, the reporting, the looking for improvements is, is so paramount to patient safety, but also hospital financial bottom line. You know, I, so I think that there's a chance for people to kind of look differently at things um you know our i don't blame i don't blame i i want to know why i want to know what happened um and and bring people in and have that conversation have that conversation in a space that's safe um and that allows for a solution because i can definitely write a you know an action plan for the failures of nurses and then put that in a spreadsheet and audit it. But I can't get back that conversation 
which I find out that something's broken in the in the system and I can't fix it. So it's really important. How are the, um, for me now? How are the uh, the governance bodies like Joint Commission? Those guys? How are they helping improve this conversation? Or maybe I should ask: Are they helping improve this conversation? And if so, does that does that governance angle have enough sway over the hospitals to potentially make a difference? I mean, I think it depends. I think it depends on um, the, you know, the approach. I think it depends on the grit in, in some ways. I mean, again, you know, we're coming out of a huge, you know, exhausting period of time in which, you know, there will be what I'm going to say is the great reset. You know, all healthcare systems are going to reset in some way. Um, and I think, you know, I'm hopeful that this is an opportunity to start to really be mindful about how we bring up our new leaders um, and how we have these exchanges and conversations when there is an issue that arises. So, so what what advice would you give to to nurses everywhere, to docs everywhere, to to, to people everywhere, to people who are thinking about this? What's going on in your mind? I think, um, you know, recognize that there are people in your organizations who who want to know what the worker is doing, who who will benefit. I mean, you know, career-wise, your job will be much better as a as a you know as a leader in nursing if you understand what the people are doing, um, and not just theoretically, like not just assume because 20 years ago I was a nurse on the floor that I know what's happening today. Um, be really mindful and be open and be involved. Um, be on the floor, learn, learn the things. And I think for nurses, ask the questions. Continuously ask the question, who designed the system? I have, you know, I have an opinion on this. Who do I talk to about that? I'm noticing that every time I click this button, something else happens. You know, I think it's, it's that. And then being willing to knock on doors and just find the people that are going to give you those answers. In the midst of a chilling effect with the Great Reset, that's, I mean, that's, that's absolutely amazing and remarkable advice. What should we do next? What, what can we do to help you guys? Keep, keep it going. Keep having the voices, you know, keep having the workers' voices heard. I mean, you know, your, uh, your work is inspirational. Um, I've started a book club um, with some frontline staff just to get them you know, just reading and learning. Um, I think that, you know, just keep this conversation going. This is an amazing opportunity. Unfortunately, it takes people to be really pissed off to make these changes, you know, and maybe this is the, this is the time. Maybe this is the, the battle cry, um, the event that kind of brought safety to the forefront. I hope you're right. I, I mean, I, I want to look at it exactly the way you look at it. And I would add that doing what you did today, becoming a voice, I think the more we can talk to each other and the more we can talk to the rest of the world about what's going on, the more we'll highlight what's happening because I, I'm not sure people realize the pressure you guys are under. And, and I'm relatively certain that in retrospect, everything looks like a choice. But in actual practice, yeah. everything is just a response to the patient and what the patient needs immediately. And, and that's significant. I mean, that's so important. Thanks for your time. Yeah. This is great. What yeah. what did we miss? Anything? Anything we should talk about? No, I thank you. I think um, everything, I think this is good. This is great. I appreciate having this conversation with you. 
Man, that was great. I really appreciate the bravery that took, and and I'm not kidding. I th- I think that was kind of a bold, brave thing to do, and and having that conversation is exactly what we need to have, because I I want you to think about it. At the, at the very least, I would suggest remaining quiet is pretty much tantamount to agreeing to what happened to this nurse in Nashville. This needs a public stage. And we're in a good place to have that. It's too easy to be seduced with one's luck based upon resilience and to think that couldn't happen to me, sort of the fundamental attribution bias. But in fact, all of us, all of us are in this position. And if we criminalize error, then what we've done is we've stopped the ability to really learn. And think about what's happened before and the people that have had this conversation and where this change is better and where people are doing it effectively because we're not going to be able to punish our way into safer medicine just as we can't punish our way into a safer factory or safer manufacturing or a safer oil platform or a safer rig floor. We'll never punish our way into removing something that isn't a choice. And it's crazy because when you talk about blame, you have to talk about error. You can't ever sort of separate one from the other because blame makes error seem like a choice. But you know and I know, because we've talked about this a bunch, is that error isn't a choice. It's an unintentional deviation from an expected outcome. And error is not something that you'll ever remove from a system because it's not a choice. I mean, it's you didn't mean to make an error, so meaning not to make an error doesn't necessarily make you error-free. In fact, heightening awareness around mistakes can actually increase mistakes. We know that. We have tons of data on this, right? So we have to build systems that are tolerant enough and that have enough robust layers of control, robust and resilient performance. All the things we've talked about fit into this category just exactly the way we thought they would. And that is, in fact, what we wanted to talk about. Details will follow. Let's see what happens next. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. If you can do anything to heighten awareness around this, do so. I think that would be worthwhile. Certainly we are. Until then, thank you. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Squeeze it in. Uh, I think we need it more than ever actually, to be honest with you. Um, Be kind to each other. That seems important to me. And for goodness sakes, be safe. (laughs) 